Anybody else feel like there was just a slight difference in swagger between me on that video and Lon coming out rapping? Anybody? No. <clears throat> We wanted to get you all caught up uh, because the way that we approach our series is kind of like a Netflix TV show, right? So if you missed the first episode, it's a little bit hard to kind of catch on to everything else uh, that we're saying. But uh, today, that, we're going to kind of really pick up from where we left off last week. And if you were here last week and you kind of heard the whole thing, some of you are like, man, I wish I could have just heard that because that was only two minutes and you went 45 minutes last week. But anyway, uh, we won't do that today. Uh, today, what we're going to do is I want to talk a little bit more uh, about that doubt and faith uh, kind of idea. And I'm going to say a couple things today. I want to give you a disclaimer. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, there's going to be points uh, during what I talk about today that are going to feel like uh, a little bit like, can, can we say that in church? And I don't know if I agree with it and all that, which I totally, I totally get. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of hopefully process that together. Maybe not out loud, but if you want to shout out, you can. Um, it just might get weird for all of us, but it happens every once in a while. It's fine. Uh, so we're going to do that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say some things today uh, that are both going to make you, I think, want to go like, yes. And at the same time, you're going to probably frustrate you at some points uh, as well. So it's a great day to offend everyone. So it's going to be fun. Um, but I want to pick up on something that I think all of us agree with and all of us, uh, I feel like, have been in some sort of boat on uh, at some point in our life if we've engaged in faith at all, right? If you've engaged in faith at all, if you've thought about it at all, if you've struggled through it at all, uh, and, and this is where we really landed last week as we said this, that doubt and faith can exist at the same time within the exact same person, right? So you can be somebody who is full of faith and somebody who also has an enormous amount of doubt and you can have all of those things at the exact same time and you feel conflicted. And depending on your background, depending on your church background, some, for some of you that was encouraged to have doubts and questions and all that. And then some of you, you were just like, no, 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 don't have any doubts and don't have any questions. And if you ask questions about it, you just got weird looks from a Sunday school teacher, you know? Some of you, you got to middle school or you got to high school and you had all sorts of questions. Some of you in college, it all kind of came, you know, kind of crumbling down, and you had all sorts of questions, and it wasn't ever encouraged, and at some point along the way, you just felt like you kind of outgrew it. And so over the course of what we've been talking about last week, really what we've been talking about in some ways for the last six months, there's a thing inside of a lot of us that feels like we're either all in on faith, but we can't have any doubt, or we're all in on doubt, we can't have, you know, faith in these sorts of ways. And I just, I don't think that's true. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you the best sort of mental image of what I think about, at least in the way that I was brought up when it comes to faith. Do we have any Indiana Jones fans in the, in the house? Indiana Jones, right. So this is Steven, Spiel, Steven Spielberg, right? He did these movies, yeah. Now, I love this scene right here. So some of you remember this. He's got to cross over this, you know, massive sort of gap. And it doesn't look like there's any sort of bridge at all. And he has this, like, giant moment of, like, a step of faith that feels like I can't see down, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, I love how they film this, right? We're going to really zoom in on Harrison Ford, uh, his foot, just for a second, because we really want to play this angst up. He takes this massive step of nothingness, and all of a sudden, he lands, right? Now, some of you, you were brought up to believe, like, this is what faith is, Right? You just take this massive sort of, I hope, and I, and then somebody told you, but it's going to be okay. You're going to land. Now, there's nowhere else in life for most of us that we would do that, right? If somebody told you there was a bridge between two buildings, they're like, you can't see it. But if you just take a giant step of faith, you'll be fine. You would look at them and go, what? You know, like you would never do that. Can you imagine stepping from one building to another and just pretending that there's something there? Even if somebody convinced you, even if somebody promised you. And here's the other part, and this is, you know, for a lot of us in the room. Smart people just don't tend to take those steps, right? And so for a lot of you, the, the older that you got, the smarter that you got, the wiser that you got, that step 
felt like it was just this giant, infinite, you know, and when you were a kid, you may, you may have taken it, but the older that you got, you would probably say it this way, that if I'm going to believe, right, I want to know why I believe. Like, can, somebody, can somebody just help me, like, know why it is that I should feel like I take this step? I would just love to know that there's something floating there that's going to catch me. And for so many of us, and this is what we're going to talk about today, for so many of us, you were handed a version of this faith or this God or Jesus that was kind of telling you just take one giant leap of faith as a kid. But that was also the same time that a lot of us guys also believed that Superman was real, Right? Like around the same time that I was watching, I watched Nick at Night. Anybody else watch Nick at Night? Do you remember? Yeah, I believed for a certain amount of time that if I put on red underwear over my jeans and put on a cape, that I could fly too, right? Like there was something that felt like that I love Superman. And then Christopher Reeve, Superman, any fans of? I felt like he deserves a shot. Yeah, anyway, so like I just, I love Superman. I watched it all the time. And when I was a kid, I just, I believed in this. There were so many things that I believed in. Some of you know. I probably shouldn't use that one with kids. But there's a lot of things that you believe in as a kid, right? That as you got older, your faith just kind of expanded. Your, your, your mind began to expand. You trained into that. I still love watching Superman. I just don't think I can fly anymore for the most part. You know, like there's just something in me that, you know, I just, I just think differently. Now, here's why this is important, and I think this is why it's so important for you. That so many of you grew up in church or around church people. And they told you that your faith was specifically and really, in a lot of ways, only connected to the Bible, right? Now, this is where we'll have some fun. And, and what they said was, like, you know, I teach my son this too. We sing it at night. He, he says lots of words around this song that aren't quite the song. But, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for what? For, for the Bible. tells me so. Which is so amazing. And when you're a kid, that's beautiful. And I want, my, I want my son to sing that. We sing that at night before he goes to bed. You know, I, I want him to view that. But at the same time, I also know there's going to be a day where my son asks questions about the Bible. That other people are going to feel like they can poke at and poke at and poke at and poke at. And if his entire faith in Jesus rests on, don't miss this, having to believe everything in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and, and, and never fully engage deeply and all of the questions that surround that, and if all of his doubt, I don't miss this, if all of his doubt is wrapped up in specific passages and not what we're going to talk about today, and I don't miss this, there will be a day that he feels like he just kind of outsmarts a book. Now, the problem with this is the Bible isn't, it's not really just a book. And this is what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. The Bible isn't just a book. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that, you know, you just, I'm just going to go pick it up. In our culture, that's how we kind of get it. Some of you, how many of you have more than one Bible at home? Anybody have more than one Bible? Yeah. How many of you, be honest, right? And I, I have at least six of these that are like this. You have a Bible that's just like, it just collects dust all over the place. Anybody, anybody have that? Like, I, have, I have those all over. And, and then for me, uh, they gave me, when I, when I was, I think, six years old, they gave me a King James Version Bible. Anybody have a King James? Yeah. And I love the King James. When I was six years old, I didn't understand any of it. You know what I mean? Like I have King James Version, NIV, the message. Ooh, does that even count? Like all these kinds of things around that. Like I had all these sorts of Bibles that people gave me. And, and the way that it was given to me was that this is a book, and this book is not wrong at any part, and this book doesn't have any contradictions at any part, and this book, you know, da, 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 da. And the way that you know that Jesus is the Son of God is, now here's, here's what I want to say. I believe in the Bible. I study it. I spent most of my life kind of reading the Bible. But here's what I want to talk about for a second. The Bible's not just a book. It's so much better than that. 
The Bible chronicles the character of God and the interactions with people. It's an anthology. Anytime that you approach the Bible as only one massive book of chapters and they just have names for the chapters, I don't miss this. You're, you're kind of missing it. We did an entire four-week series on what the Bible actually is, right? And I, and I love this because anytime we just reduce the Bible to one book and we neglect the fact that there are entire sections of the Bible that are written specifically for the purpose. And there are parts of it that are poetry. And there are parts of it that are, you know, narrative. And there are parts of it that are history. And there are parts of it that are so erotic that young Jewish boys couldn't even read it until they became a man. Like there are parts of this that are so just, it, it encapsulates humanity. And you, if you engage in the Bible, have questions about certain parts of it. And that's okay. And in a lot of ways, we get a picture of who Jesus is. But it's not just from a book. It's from people who spent their lives with Jesus. People who spent time with Jesus. People, especially in the New Testament, who saw things, extraordinary things, and they would ultimately give their lives. For not what they just hoped for and believed in Indiana Jones' faith, but what? They saw. And so I put in my notes, I said it this way, and this is, I hope this is nuanced enough, but for many of us, our views have grown, evolved, matured, and become nuanced in every area of our life but faith. Like you outgrew certain beliefs at some point. You saw things differently at some point. You engaged with life differently at some point. You matured in every area of your life except when it came to faith. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes, and again, you're already in here, so for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to humor me. What I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to get back to the very basic parts of what Christianity is all about. And if you're a person in this room who is like, have all kinds of doubts, and in some ways you would say, I've turned away from Christianity, I've turned away from God, I've turned away from faith. If you're a person that kind of feels like you're teetering on the line and you have all sorts of questions and doubt, or if you're a person that's a Christian, but you just, you're kind of a closet person with all your doubts, you just never said it out loud. I want to I hopefully, over the next few minutes, redirect us back to the foundational part of our faith. Because I love the Bible. And I want to, I want to tell you that I love the Bible. I believe in the Bible so much. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll just leave that there. But I would say this. That when the people who were writing down the parts that we talk about and teach about today, it wasn't perfectly bound in a leather back sort of thing with the NIV on it. And they didn't walk around just talking about that. You know what this? They were walking about, talking about who Jesus was, and so many of them knew him and experienced him and saw things that caused them, I don't miss this, to engage in faith. And one of these guys is a guy named Paul. And I want to talk about Paul for just a couple of minutes. Paul is interesting. If, if you've heard me talk about Paul before, I feel like we kind of, I, at least I, I kind of gloss over just how bad of a guy Paul was, right? There was a point where his name wasn't even Paul. His name got changed. For a lot of his life, his name was Saul. And Saul is so fascinating to me because if there's anybody, anybody, especially in the New Testament, who would have had every reason to walk away from the whole thing or not to believe it or to be skeptical of it, it was Paul. 
And Paul was. In fact, Paul viewed what early, you know, early followers of what they would have talked about the way or early followers of Christianity. He viewed those people as a threat to not only what he believed, but also to the kingdom around them. In fact, he was a person who was really anti the teachings of what Jesus kind of believed and stood for. He was a person for a long time who persecuted Christians and not just like, Oh, like not even the way we think about persecution. He would oversee at some point's execution. The parts that I think so interesting and probably even more graphic than the execution part of this is, is Saul, before he was Paul, would actually lead groups and lead teams of people into homes when they found out that, you know, some of these key leaders were followers, as they would talk about it, of the way. And they would rip out their families out of their homes. And some of them would be killed. Some of them would just go in, in, into these, you know, kind of camps that they would pull them away from. I want you to picture this for a second. We're talking about children being pulled from their homes and some of these things. But Paul's story is so interesting because he has an encounter and an experience with Jesus. And not only did he have an encounter and experience with Jesus, but his entire life shifted and his entire life changed. He went from being a person who persecuted Christians or followers of the way to being a person, especially, you know, if you're a business person or an entrepreneurial person. In a lot of ways, he was one of the most extraordinary entrepreneurial people in his time because he planted churches all over the ancient world and they grew and they grew and they grew. And the message spread like wildfire in the midst of deep persecution from so many people, in the midst of them watching people be just tortured and killed. It grew. And it grew because Paul started playing. <laughs> Seventh grade, that was fun. Grew. Sorry. That's what happens in my brain when I'm speaking. Anyway, so it grew all over the ancient world. And he was the one who launched this. And so what I want to do just for a couple of minutes, especially if you're a skeptic, if you're a person who has all these questions, I want to look at where Paul places the emphasis of the whole movement. And I want to look for a second when Paul is speaking to specifically people who have never heard this message before or maybe had come into contact with it at a distance. I want to, I want to show you just for a minute what Paul puts the emphasis on and how he goes about showing and not only convincing people who are extraordinarily smart, extraordinarily well off in their community, extraordinarily educated, what it looks like to become a follower of the way. And so we're going to look for just a few minutes in Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to look at some verses together. So this is Paul. He's entering in uh, to this area of the ancient world called Athens. We're going to point to a couple of pictures today where you can see where he was. He goes in this area of the world, and he, his goal, just so you know, is to start teaching about not only what he believed, but what he believed that he saw and what other people had been eyewitnesses to. And so here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. I love this. To see that the city was full of idols. Now, some of you, when you go back to 7th or 8th grade, you know, history class, you know that the Athenians would have believed in so many different gods that they were even like, there's so many of them. We're not even exactly sure how many of them there are, but we know that there's a ton, and we're going to worship as many of them as we can so we can check off all the boxes. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace. Now, I love this. He goes out into the workplace by, uh, day by day with those who happen to be there. And he's striking up these conversations with people who are distant from the whole thing and very pluralistic in the ways that they viewed God and divinity. And then we find this. Now, I love this. <laughs> it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, right, which are two, in some ways, stark opposite in view of the way that they would view divinity and God, the afterlife, all this. These, these philosophers began to debate with him, which I love because I think that would be so much fun to watch, right? 
How are you going to de- debate Paul and these philosophers who are different kind of areas? And if you're a person, be honest. Anybody argumentative in the room other than me, you're just naturally. How many of you, your spouse is and they're not raising their hand? Anybody? Yeah. Oh, you're in trouble. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So you, you know that if you're anything like me and you like to debate, I want you to just keep this in view. Paul is simultaneously debating two different groups of people that each viewed it differently. And he's trying to bring them all into one kind of area or one camp and what he's saying. So he began to debate with them and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? You don't have credibility. I don't even understand what you're saying, Paul. Can you just, who, who is this guy? But then others, and there were enough others that it mattered. Then others remarked this. He seems to be advocating for foreign gods. Which when we read that, it just kind of glossed over it. But there's almost this thing like, don't we have enough gods? Like I feel like we covered enough bases with how many gods that we worship and idolize. (laughs) They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus. And this is what I'm talking about. And the resurrection. And he goes into an area and he's like, not only Jesus, but Jesus, he died and then he rose from the grave. And everybody's standing around like, that's cute. Another one of those, you know. Because Paul wasn't the only person to ever claim that somebody had risen from the grave. Right? This wasn't even a new phenomenon. Like this, this was talked about in the ancient world in so many different ways. The difference is nobody had actually seen somebody die and then be alive again. Even if people taught it, nobody, like, interacted with the person after they died. <laughs> and they rose from the grave. So it goes on and says this. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the area of Pegasus. Now, I, I love this. This is so fascinating. If you're not a history person, give me, like, 30 seconds. We'll be done with it, I promise. This is a place where the top thinkers and the top people who would debate and the philosophers would gather to explore new ideas and new truth. So they get him there and they said to him, may we know, and I don't miss this, this new teaching. That may we know and discover if there's something else out there that's new and fresh that we don't know about yet. May we discover this new teaching it is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, which means we don't believe you yet. And we would like to know. What they mean. Now I want to give you a visual representation. A lot of scholars, a lot of historians would say that this is kind of the area that this would have been. There's this kind of massive sort of rock pile in Athens. And even today, you can go there, you can see this area, and there's actually a massive plaque with what Paul actually said on this day that's there. And what they would do is they would gather on this place, and they would debate ideas and hear different thoughts and hear strange new ideas. They would let the person present and present and present, and then they would judge whether or not they thought That was true. Now, here's what I want to just, as much as I can in your brain, paint for a second. Paul was extraordinarily educated. He was a Roman citizen. He was a person who was very articulate. Before he came to Christ, right, he had so much. In fact, I don't want you to miss this. Because he was so educated, because he'd done so many good things, this is kind of like showing up, not to the, I don't know about the white, I mean, like, you're showing up to an arena, and all the smart people come together. Some of you are like, I can't fathom that. You showed up to an AP class. That's just me, right? And everybody's listening to you present on new ideas. All the smart people and the disagreement. Everybody's there. 
And you almost get this idea that if you're an intellectual person, you're a person who bends that way anyway, this is in some ways like a dream come true. That you finally have the audience with influencers and thinkers and people who are outside the box and open to new and different ideas. And if it's me, again, if it's me, and I have any inclination that what I'm about to say is going to be like, in some ways, feeling like it's almost fully rejected by all these smart people, I don't even know that I'd want to show up. Like Paul could have taught things that he believed before and they would have been like, you know. But Paul stands in this space and proclaims something that's extraordinary. Paul stood up in the meeting and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, you know, for those of you who like debate and arguments, I want you to watch how he does this. You're already very religious. You're already bending towards the mysterious. You've already found yourself in a place where you've had moments in your life where you look up and you go, there's more. There's something. There's, there's this thing that's drawing me out. Like you're already a very religious group of people. And then he takes that idea and he almost turns it on him and he pokes at him and he says this. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. And I love this. To an unknown God. Can we, can we just say that together for a second? You ready? One, two, three. To an, to an unknown God. Now this, this is what I love. They were so religious and they wanted to cross off as many boxes as possible. Now don't miss this. Like we have all of these other idols, all of these other places that we're going to worship. But this is like our crossing our fingers in case we missed one kind of thing. Like this is the one that we look at like this is to an unknown God. We're not exactly sure who this is. We're not exactly sure what this means. We think we've covered all of our bases. But just in case, we're very religious and there's mysterious and there's uncertainty around all this. Here's our place to acknowledge a God that may be out there that we don't know. They acknowledge their own uncertainty around the divinity. And they also acknowledged mystery. Which I think that's a great place to be. That there is an idea out there that there is mysterious and there's doubts and there's questions. No matter how certain all of these super smart people were. That there was mystery and uncertainty all around it. And Paul uses a really strong word in English in in the Greek, it's not as strong, and we'll talk about that for a second. But he says this. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. Now, ignorant does not, you know, it means something a little bit different. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So when we talk about ignorant, he didn't mean like dumb or stupid. Because all these people were smart. Ignorant meant that you're like crossing your fingers, hoping for the best that you've covered all of your bases. Ignorant meaning this. Watch this. Ignorant meaning Though you feel certain at times, there's this dull thing in the back of your mind that's just going, ah, what about the unknown God? Did we cover all of our bases? Am I, am I right in all of this? And then what he does is he takes poetry and philosophy and language that they would have been using, and he paints a picture of the God of the universe. And what it means to follow him. He says this. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. It is a poke. They totally would have agreed with the, there's something that made the world. But wait a minute. 
He doesn't reside in a place that we made with our own human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Like, he's saying this. That as much as you try to manage and control God, if he's God, you can't. As much as you want to feel like you can manipulate the circumstances and make it happen all the way that you want, if you just drum up enough, you know, sacrifices, if you just drum up enough whatever belief or the type of prayers or some sort of, like, ritual, then all of a sudden you can, you can manhandle God to do, you know, what you want God to do. Paul's saying, no, no, and we said this last week, God is infinite and humanity is finite. And Paul's going to have this idea, that the moment you remove the mystery, you reduce God to an idol, to an unknown God. But we cross our fingers, hope, you know, check the Bible. Hopefully this is. And you manage and you try to control, and there's something inside of all of us, I think, that wants to try to manage and control that which is defined. He says, that's not the way. He says, rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else, which he's pulling from their language and their philosophy. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, which this group of people would have caused them to go, whoa, 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 but we're, we're in Athens. Like in my brain, it's like saying that to the, the guys from 300. You know what I mean? Not that I saw 300. I'm just saying like those of you who did, you know. Like looking at a group of people going, no, no, no. You're human. So you're equal. That it all stemmed from one place. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That as much as you think that you controlled it all, so don't miss this, that there was some divine working and sovereignty happening behind the scenes. And he gives the reason. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. That humanity would be reminded that as much as we try to manage and control, as much as we try to think that I created it all, that we would be reminded that there's something in you already that's telling you that there's more. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And then this is one of the most powerful statements I think in all the New Testament. Though he is not far from any one of us, that he, don't miss it, is not far from you. No matter what direction you believe, no matter how many sacrifices that you've made, no matter how many idols and gods you have all around this city, that he is as close as you turning to see him. I put it in my notes, said it this way, I said, our ability to see God is often, not always, but often determined by our decision to turn and face God. I need, I need, a, I need somebody to help me. Can, can I get somebody to, can you come here real quick? Yeah. Give it up for Mr. Gagnon, ladies and gentlemen. Can we just give it up for my friend? This is one of my son's small group leaders, which I'm super excited about. And if you're wondering, yes, he can beat me up. Like, he can. Um, yeah, yes. So I'm going to say, just for a second, he's going to be God, right? Which, obviously, he is a God. It's great. And I need one more. Can I get one more volunteer? I just want to, like, just prove my point. Can I, can I show this real quick? Yeah, yeah. You knew I was going to call on you. Come on up. Come on, come on, real quick. Actually, and Jeremy, can I get you too? Come here, come over here. Jeremy's like, I'm never sitting on the front row again. I'm never. I, I want to show you what I'm talking about. All right, come here, Kurt. You're going to be, you're going to be like every single one of us. Okay, let me get you over here a little bit. Because you're a center person. I'm just kidding. Come here. Jeremy, come here. Jeremy is going to represent the big turning point. Can we just be clear on this for a second? All right. 
right? You're the turning point. You're, the, you're like the pendulum swing, all right? All right, so this is Kurt. This is all of us. This is all the people in Athens. This is what we're talking about. So Kurt can live his entire life facing this direction and walking in it, right? And you know what? There are things where it's like, my friend, my friend Mr. Guy, he could be, he could be like yelling out. He could be talking. He could be saying things. But he's not, he's not turned to face and see, right? He's not. And so he can continue walking his entire life in the opposite direction of God. But it's not until he like turned, and it doesn't matter. He could turn and face like right here, however far away he is. Oh, keep going. Oh, you're good. Boom. And all of a sudden, he sees it. It's like mind blown, right? Deep thoughts from Patrick. It's great. Now, I, want, I, want, I think this is why it's so important. For so many of us, there's this pivotal place where you can have all the doubt and be so far on the side of it. You can have all the questions and be so far on the side of it. You can look at Genesis and go, I don't understand. Like, how does it, one man, one woman, you can have the conversation, were they really naked and not know it? Because if I was naked and she was naked, I would know it. Like, you can have all those questions, right? You can have all these questions about Noah's Ark and is there even enough water? You can have all those questions. You have all sorts of questions about Abraham. You can have, I mean, I could point out so many things. You can look at different narratives in Genesis 1, 2, 3. I mean, you can look at all these things. But at the end of the day, I don't miss this. It all doesn't boil down to how you answer all of those questions, even though those are all important questions. The claim of Christianity, the only reason that you're sitting here, the only reason that Christianity survived in the ancient world and moved forward in the way that it did, don't miss this, is a claim that Jesus died and he rose from the grave. Like it all falls really there, and this is what Paul is getting after, right? <laughs> when it comes to turning and facing God, oh, we're not done yet, almost though. He's like slowly sneaking away from the TV. <laughs> that when you turn and face God, you may have that amount of space of questions. You may, like if you're the turning point to saying, I'm going to really choose to be a father, I'm going to get baptized. If this is that place, you may be way over there. But repentance and turning towards God, simply turning to face and say, I'm going to move in that direction. And when you do, it's like you begin to see. Can you give it up for my, my friends? Thank you so much. Please continue to sit on the front rows. Please, please keep doing that. That would be great. That would be great. Now, here's why this matters so much, and this is where Paul's logic, I think, continues to move, right? He continues to move not towards all of the things that circle around these followers of the way. He continues to move to exactly what his point is. He goes, for in him we live and move and have our being, which is really a quote from an ancient poem that they would have known about. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, which is another quote from one of these poems, right? It gets after this idea that we are his offspring, meaning that if there's a divine being, it comes from somewhere, there's something out there, and if it's out there, and if there is that something, that we're all in some ways children of whatever that divine being is. And he says it. He says this. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone in the way that you could control it or manipulate it. An image made by human design and skill. And then he makes the claim that makes everybody uncomfortable and all the people sitting around go, I don't know about this. He says this. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. In the past, God overlooked this way of thinking where it was like, hey, I'm not sure about, so I'm going to cross off all my bases with sacrifice and all these kinds of things. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And I had an entire class in college on that word. 
And I wish they would have just shown me this slide because this is what repentance is. It's turning away and then turning back towards God. Repentance is saying, I was moving in this direction in sin. I was moving in this direction in belief. I was moving in this direction in all of my brokenness. And I chose to repent and turn back towards God. It's not about having all the answers and it's not about being perfect and it's not about messing up. Repentance is about going, I was moving in a direction, I stopped, and I turned, and I moved in a different direction. Now, here's what's so beautiful about that, is when you do that, all of the behavior modification that everybody gets so wrapped up in, all the questions and doubts, and did the Bible really say, and is this, it all begins to make sense and become clear as you move towards the source. It doesn't mean that everybody agrees on everything. It's Christianity. There's however many denominations and all of this floating around in so many different spheres. If it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean this. But when it comes to following Jesus and following the way that he put us on, and when you follow the teachings of Jesus and what he says about love and selflessness, all of a sudden, all of that begins to shift towards repentance when you move in the direction towards God. And then he says this. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man being Jesus that he appointed I'm going to miss this. And this is, I think this is the crux of the passage. And he has given proof to this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. Now, for me, this is, maybe not you, but for me, this is so compelling because in this moment, he had every reason not to say it. This is so compelling with Paul for me because he was moving in a direction that was so far away from any of this. I put in my notes, this is what I said. I said, what would it take for an intelligent, powerful, anti-Jesus, Roman citizen, persecutor of early Christians to decide to fully devote his life to the one that he was persecuting? What would that take for him to ultimately be killed for this faith? And it's not just, it's not just Paul. Like what, what it took for Paul, right, really, was an encounter with Jesus, and it took evidence of a resurrection. This, this, is what, this is what I believe. This is what I see with Paul. He had this amazing encounter with Jesus that started to hold this, like, I'm going to turn in a new direction. And he was also around those who were eyewitnesses or new eyewitnesses to this whole thing about death and resurrection with Jesus. He wasn't the only one. One more compelling thing for me, at least. Jesus had 12 closest followers that followed him all over the place. There was even this part, and we find this in, I think, John 6, 6 maybe, where they're standing around and there are people who are not believing what he's teaching. <laughs> and Jesus looks at them and is like, Who do you think I am? Like, who, all y'all, who do you, who, all y'all, you wouldn't say that, all of you. Who do you say that I am? And they, they respond with, like, hey, son of God. But then they also respond with, where else will we go? To whom should we go? And none of them were at the tomb when he rose from the dead. Now, just for a second. We're going to talk about doubt and faith. You ready? You ready? His closest followers weren't sitting there at the grave when he called his shot. It's like Babe Ruth going, I'm about to hit a home run. And everybody's like, I don't, no, I don't think you're going to do it. And everybody's gone. Like everybody's leaving. Nobody's there. Jesus, like, in some ways, calls his shot. And none of his closest followers were there. So many of them believe 
after he rose from the grave. Now, I love this passage, and the reason that I love this passage, and, and we'll wrap up in a second, is because I feel like if, if it were a fairy tale, and you were just manipulating it to be whatever you wanted it to be, and if the writers, you know, if Luke were kind of writing this down, would have like, I really want to move them in this direction. It ends with like a happy Hallmark, Nicholas Sparks kind of ending. Not the notebook, but the other ones. You know, you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was funny to me. Like it would end with all of these smart people lean in and go, Paul, you're so good. Lead us, Paul. They all get down on their knees and they go to the unknown God and scrape that off and like, you know, Here's how the account goes. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them, can we say this word together? Sneered. Now, you don't say that word very often. I've never said that word before, right? I just, you know, I just don't say it. But I love, like, the weight of this. Sneered means this, to smile or speak in a contemptuous or mocking manner. Like, we all know him, right? They sneered at him. But others, others said this. It goes on. It says, others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. That some sneered, and then others, they wanted to hear more. And at that, here's the beauty of Luke's writing all this. And at that, Paul left the council. Now, again, if I'm writing this, I, I would have, and I wanted to change it, I would have made it where everybody got saved and you know, everybody was like, we love you. They started making Paul t-shirts. They're making Jordans with Paul's face on it. Like Paul's walking out like these guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like he's walking out of it going, what, you know? I love that it just never stops. <laughs> and it says this. Some of the people became followers of Paul. Ultimately, his teaching, what he's saying about this, and they believed. Now, here's why this is important, and this is why I wanted to circle back from last week to talk about this. So many of you, so many of you feel like you outgrew faith, and you outgrew stories, and you outgrew the Noah's Ark thing, you outgrew Genesis, you outgrew the entire Old Testament, and you threw out the whole thing. But the deeper problem wasn't with this collection or this anthology of what the Bible is. The deeper problem is someone came along and said that it's all wrapped up for you in this book that's leather bound and pretty and don't write in it, you know. But we don't begin our adult faith journey with a book. I don't miss this. Please don't miss this. And I believe fully in the Bible. I do. But for those of you who, like, track all the way back to where it starts for you, it doesn't, it doesn't just start with, do you believe the 2,074 pages of that book? And we don't begin our faith journey, I don't think, for the most part, our adult faith journey, with a blind leap of faith like Indiana Jones. Smart people don't tend to do that. I think we begin our adult faith journey with two important questions. 
And for those of you who have found yourself doubting and questioning and wondering, and you have, you have this massive bag of doubts that's connected just to the Bible, or you have this massive set of questions and doubts that are just connected to the way somebody taught you something, right? I want to give you the two questions, I think, for you, for me, for all of us in this room, that it all hinges on. Because if these two questions aren't answered and they're not true, for us as followers of Jesus, it all falls down. The two questions are this. Is Jesus who he said that he is? Is he who he claimed to be? And did Jesus do what they said he did? Did he in fact die? And did he raise from the grave? And for some of you, you're uncomfortable because you're like, what the Bible and the Bible, the Bible. And I'm like, I mean, again, I'm going to tell you, I spent the bulk of my life studying the I love studying the Bible. I love it. And for those of you who walked away from faith because your bag of doubt centers around all of the rest of the Bible, but you've never fully answered these two questions, and I'm going to miss this. I want you to take that bag of doubts and go, these are all good things to solve. I want you to debate all day long about passages of the Old Testament that you like, you know, yeah. I want you to debate all day long, two by two on a big old boat. Did he find the, the blueprint on Pinterest? Like, how did he do that? John Chris jokes, thank you very much. Like, how did, he, how did he do all that? Before you answer any of those, and I'm going to say, what matters most is, is Jesus who he said that he is? And did he do what he said or what others said that he did? I don't miss this. Everybody look just for a second. Because if he did, in fact, die and raise from the grave, and if he was, in fact, the son of God, I don't miss this. And you turn in direction to say, I have all of these other questions, but I've got to settle that first. I don't miss this. And you could ask so many people. It's not that your doubts all go away, and it's not that you all of a sudden just magically get all of the answers to all of your Old Testament questions. But the trajectory of your life and faith begin to fall into place in a way you've never seen before. And the last thing I'll say, and we'll be done. And for those of you who the house of cards came falling down, because somebody else poked at it, or poked at the Bible, poked at the New Testament, or poked at Jesus, right? Are you ready? No, please don't miss this. <laughs> if this is in fact true, right, and if Jesus is who he said he is, and he did in fact rise from the grave, don't miss this. Are you willing to go, well, I heard that my sophomore year from a professor that seemed really smart, and I'm just going to take that. And then I'm going to walk away. Or are you going to fully engage in your life to try to discover, is this true? Because if it's true, these are the only two questions in your life that matter for eternity. These are the only two questions in your life that matter the most for your family and for your kids and for your spouse and your grandmama and all these people. This is what it all hangs on. And so I think, and again, the most important thing that we'll ever do is seek to answer these two questions. So what I want to do to wrap up our time together, uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, 
that I think is so important. And if you're a person in here who's a follower of Jesus and you carry around a load of doubts, I love that. You're in good company. I want you to sing this out because this really is kind of like the basis of our faith in a lot of ways. But if you're a person in the room, and I'm going and you say, like, I haven't chosen to turn yet. Like, I haven't chosen to even, like, slightly turn yet, but I'm carrying all these doubts. I want you to, I want you to see this. The whole context of the Christian faith, I think, is wrapped up to a couple of these lines that are in this song. And we get so excited about it around here because if you believe this, it really does change everything. The lines say this. As then came the morning, sealed the promise. That your buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion, not a guy with a sash and a really nice, you know, whatever, with long hair and a perfectly trimmed beard, the roaring lion who conquered death, who conquered sin, who conquered pain, who conquered all of the things that hold you and grip you, the roaring lion came bursting from the grave and declared that the grave has no claim on me. That sin has no claim on me. That all that distanced me from God has no claim on me. That freedom and that's where we place our hope. So here's what I'd love for you to do, if you would. I'd love for you to stand. And uh, I want to pray for us. We're singing this song. And again, for those of you who follow Jesus, of all the things that we talk about and sing about and celebrate, it's true that all of it hinges on Jesus and his death and resurrection. This is what we should feel the most excitement about celebrating those of you with doubts, questions, and those of you who haven't turned yet towards God, this is a moment for you to get the clearest picture of what we believe. I'm going to invite the band out. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, <laughs> it feels like, especially for guys like me or people like me and churches and religion and all of it, we can so quickly and so easily complicate what this is all about. And you've revealed yourself to us in such a beautiful way in the texts that we have and the experiences that others have had. And your words to us through the writings in the Bible, you've given us glimpses of what it's like to be fully engaged with you in those words. There's power and it is active and it's living amongst us engage with it, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to, did you do what you said that you were going to do? And did others actually see this? And so, Father, I pray for the person here who's never thought about it that way, who's been wrapped up in all of the other things, all of the other questions about the Bible, all the other doubts. God, I pray that they wouldn't just discard it, they would more deeply engage with the scriptures, but at the same time, they would really seek to ask and answer the questions that matter most. And for those of us in the room who live our lives with the complexities of whatever this religious thing is, God, I pray that you would help us the best that we can fully and finally rest in the truth that you loved us enough to come and you loved us enough to die and you loved us enough to make a way back to yourself and that you were powerful enough overcome it all on our behalf. So today as we sing this, let us celebrate fully the grace that you've given, the power 
you've extended to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.